terrifying and exciting and just what is going on in my life. But yeah, I left it all and I walked out and started writing. Congratulations. You may now turn your tassels. You're listening. To- You're listening to the. Oh, if we say it at the same time. No, we can't do that. No, That's no, not we- gonna- You're listening to the Day After Graduation podcast from Longwood University. Welcome back to the Day After Graduation podcast. I'm Paige Rollins, Longwood Class of 2015 and co-host. Thank you so much to everyone who's made season three of the show a success. I'm Ryan Catherwood, and I lead the Office of Alumni Career Services here at Longwood University. And although Longwood isn't my alma mater, the school and our community have been such an important part of my life, and I'm so fortunate to have spent the last five years here. And Paige, working with you on day after graduation has been one of my favorite parts of being here at Longwood. Thanks, Ryan. This show has been a great and challenging project, and it's hard to believe that we've made six pilot episodes and 28 shows over three seasons. Just taking a moment to brag, there are day-after-graduation listeners all over the globe, not just here in Virginia. The analytics say we have listeners from Guam to Ireland to India and all over the United States and Canada, not to mention here in Virginia. A huge part of the success of this podcast have been our executive producer, Cordy Walker, as well as producers extraordinaire, Megan Wilson, who helped us with both seasons two and three, and Mara Mazarowski, who was a producer for season two. And of course, our good friend, Brian Rose, class of 2011, who is a producer and co-host along with Hallie Parker, who's class of 2018. Before starting the show, we want to take a few moments to say some thank yous, because this is our last official episode of season three of Day After Graduation, and at least for the time being, we don't have plans for a season four. But we feel like the show hasn't so much run its course and people are tired of it, but more we're kind of proud of where the show is and the work that's gone into it, and now it's time to focus on some other initiatives for Longwood students and alumni. Yes, that being said, we will still publish interviews and other content here on the Day After Graduation feed, so don't unsubscribe. Audio content is important and we'll be bringing you more over the coming months. Okay, now for today's episode. Today's show, The Next Chapter, has two acts. In Act 1, Make It a Hallmark Movie, we caught up with Jenny Hale, class of 1998. Jenny is a romance novelist, but before making it big as a writer, Jenny had an 18-year teaching career. For a while, writing was a side project. I grew up in the Richmond area outside of Richmond, Virginia, and so I was 18 and it came time to look for colleges. I looked at quite a few, you know, like every kid does. I got all the applications and, you know, went to visit the campuses and I just really loved the atmosphere at Longwood. I loved the size at the time. I think it's grown since I've been there, but um, it was small and, and intimate, and I just really felt comfortable there. So after the school visits and sort of going around and, and hearing things you know, from different people, I decided to apply. I think it was early admission for Longwood, and when I got in, that was it. I just you know didn't consider anyone else. And I went straight on into Longwood. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had some ideas of, you know, different things that I enjoyed and I was a creative, but I didn't really know. And so I started as a business major. 
And then I popped around to all kinds of majors. I was a math major and then turned around and was an English major. The math major, by the way, is laughable if you know me, but I was an English major, a math major, a business major, and I just couldn't quite figure out where I fit. And teaching appealed to my creative side. Working with families and outside the box thinking of how to teach children appealed to her. The idea of trying to figure out what curriculum would be best and all the details of being a teacher. She changed to teaching and never looked back, teaching for 18 years. 18, I mean, I'm sorry, the last eight years of my 18 years, I taught ESL. So I got a master's in ed from another university and then I got a, I was endorsed as a reading specialist, an ESL teacher, and then a regular ed teacher, which gave me a nice sort of well-rounded look at teaching English to speakers of other languages. And I taught elementary, primarily elementary ESL for eight years. And I helped sort of throw a net on the ideas of how, how to do that for a child at the elementary level. So I wrote a ton of curriculum and I did, I think at one point, the county brochure on ESL, maybe did that a couple times and um, just really worked very closely with district level personnel on how to sort of get a handle on the best practices for teaching English to speakers of other languages at, at such a young age. And that was, that lit my fire for quite a while. I really enjoyed it just because I could sort of think outside the box. And so at night when it was my wind down time and my papers were graded and, you know, everything was ready for the next day and my little kiddos were asleep, I would read and just sort of as an escape. There were two British authors she loved after spending her time as a student teaching in England. It inspired her and she just was reading through everything she could find. So I was just plowing through these two authors' books. And I sat down next to my husband one night and I just said, I think I could write one of these. He said, we'll do it. (laughs) It can't hurt. You know, nothing will happen if you do it, you know, just do it. And so he let me, you know, just every night we had, I mean, at the time we had just gotten married. We were in little teeny kids and we had this tiny little study like upstairs And I would run away to that little study at night and just write. And I got to the end of it and it was terrible. It was horrible. And I I tried to kind of do this weird kind of publisher that somebody down the street had recommended and it was a disaster and because it was sort of a, you know, you pay and we'll publish it. And it was a mess and it never really saw the light of day. I think, you know, a couple of friends who they better not say anything. They have a copy somewhere, but if I find it, I'll, I'll shred it. But at the end of it, I got to 80,000 words and I thought, well, I, I can get all the words down. I just don't quite know how to do it. So when I went back to reading, I started to notice things that I was struggled with that the authors could do. And I sort of self-taught by reading. And then once I realized what it was I was doing wrong, then I went and bought a book on that. Character development, point of view, so many things she had to learn. But she dived in and kept working away at this hobby and project of hers. I was doing it for fun. I didn't have anybody giving me deadlines. I had zero expectations 
for that book because every step of it was just trying to top myself. So I didn't think, okay, I'm going to write this book and publish it. I wrote it to see if I could do it. And then I said, oh, maybe I can try to publish this thing. And then I filled those nights with trying to figure out the correct, proper way to publish it. Now that I felt like I had something really solid and, and I knew what I was doing somewhat. So every little step sort of, you know, was its own just little, I guess, goal for me. I wasn't really thinking like, oh, I'm going to quit my job and become an author. I never once thought that. She kept going and worked on another book, which took her almost two years to complete. And when Jenny got to the end, she didn't really know what to expect or if it was any good or what she should do with it. I think... If I'm remembering correctly, I think I went to my dad and said, Hey, I have this book. What do I, what do I do with it or something? I can't remember. It's really fuzzy, but I think that he somehow through a conversation with me gave me a lawyer in Richmond, a literary lawyer. And I sat down with that literary lawyer. I can't even remember. It's not the one that I use now, but um, I can't even remember his name, but I sat down with him and he gave me He said, you need to go by the writer's market. It's a book and it will tell you what you need to know in terms of what you need for publishing. I only submitted to agents and publishers who were willing to accept simultaneous submissions because sometimes they won't and then you have to wait and it's a very long wait. So I only did simultaneous submissions. I sent it to 10 and then when I get feedback, I would jot that down. When I got a no, I would take it off the list and then I would find another one and I always have 10 open. And so that took me a couple of years before I, I mean, that took me a couple of years. And then I just kept, I kept getting feedback and people were saying, this is good. This is good. I just don't know what to do with it. She kept getting praise for her work, but no one could find a spot for it in the release schedule or know where it fit best. She sent her book to a small publisher in the UK, thinking back to the book she loved and that inspired her to write the original one to see if there was a market there. He told me later that it it did not have anything to do with me writing like anything that would be better received in the UK, that it sounded very American, and he just liked it. And so then I I had to think about what I wanted to do because it was a very small startup. But... As you probably guessed from all the other things I've done <laughs> in my life, in my career, I loved the challenge of that. I loved the wide openness of it. And at the same time, like I said, I didn't have any you know, goals for this book other than to take the next step. And everything about that publisher just screamed to me that it was awesome. I loved it. And I jumped on, I think I was the th- third book contracted by Bookatour. And now Bookatour has been bought out by Hachette, which is, I believe, the third largest publisher in the world, if I'm correct on that. In terms of expectations, I was this sort of wide-eyed puppy in this, in this journey at the beginning because I... You know, I just kept thinking like, I'm a teacher, what's going on? You know, and I'm still showing up for school and I'm still doing lesson plans and I'm still teaching. For three years, I was teaching while I was writing under contract. It was almost like a, 
like a little experiment in my mind. I was just thinking like, you know, let's just see what happens with it. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a concrete idea of like, okay, this is going to sell because it's under contract now. It was sort of like, how do we make this brand? And then how do we get it out there? And, and what's going to happen to it? And I was along for the ride. I just wanted to see. And then when Coming Over Christmas came out, I want to say it hits, it might've hit some bestseller lists or at least some top lists on Amazon in the UK. And that's when I started to think, this might be something. This might be, you know, happening. After that first book, I just sort of got into this whirlwind of getting up at the crack of dawn and sitting down on my computer before my kids get up and then writing as much as I could and then going to school and teaching all day until I could, you know, get off contract and then picking up all my kids and then coming home and writing again until I went to bed because I had deadlines to meet at that point. And so my next, I guess, three years were just sort of survival, you know, and my husband did laundry and dishes and everything he could so that I could just keep going. And then it got so busy with so much going on that I had to have that talk with my husband. Like, I think I'm going to have to quit teaching. And I'm going to have to do this full time. And that's scary. It was time for Jenny to stop teaching. And although it was a risk, it was something she felt was right. And she dove in. Everybody was kind of sort of waiting for it, I want to say. And my principal, I was a district teacher because I was ESL. So my district person wasn't with me every day. But my I was housed as a school and my principal was. And she would always, I would always go in the office to shred files for like two weeks before I quit. And she kept looking at me like, what are you doing? But it's because I had all my files to get rid of because I was getting ready to pack everything up. And the weirdest thing was, I mean, I, I, I embraced it wholeheartedly because when I walked out, I turned my entire classroom over to the next teacher that was hired to take my place. And I walked out with my purse and my keys. And that was pretty um, just terrifying and exciting and just what is going on in my life. But yeah, I left it all and I walked out and started writing. I think the first couple of days I laid on the floor in my living room and just thought, okay, let me think about what I'm supposed to be doing today. What's going on? She took off creating an LLC, formalizing her business and getting to work. Not every day is straightforward and simple, but she's working to make each day have some shape. And to say things have gone well is an understatement. In fact, we were talking with her shortly after publishing another book. I've published 13. I'm writing 14. 14 is actually draft one is due next Friday. And recently, one of the biggest things that happened to Jenny is that her book was used as the basis for a Hallmark movie. Christmas Wishes and Mistletoe Kisses just came out on Hallmark this year. Jill Wagner was the lead. I've lost your face among ox-eyed daisies studding hayfields west of Salem and forgotten your name, the one I learned standing in a ditch on the side of the road early one morning headed to clinic in Newcastle during hay season. 
Just past the new mound system at the Moose Lodge, I slowed for bales in the road. Your car upturned, doors smashed up. I instructed your husband to warm you with the sun-bleached towel protecting the back seat upholstery. He crammed behind the wheel downside. You upside slung from your seat belt. His fingers found your radial pulse for me. He counted the beats out loud as I watched the second hand circle my watch. Cars whizzing by. Waiting on the jaws of life, I learned your daughter's phone number through stellate windows. You asked me to describe the pieces of glass in your face. We compared the specks to wildflowers in the still standing hay. That's a reading from our second guest. As you can probably guess, she spent her life in the medical field before becoming a published writer by what she shared. In Act 2 of our show, Turning the Page, we chat with Dr. Molly O'Dell, class of 1976, about her own career change to becoming an author. A Longwood alumni, she was a first for us here at Longwood. I was the first student accepted to medical school directly from Longwood, and I went to the Medical College of Virginia. While I was at Longwood, I read this book by Katherine Marshall called Christy. That's the name of the book. They made a TV series out of it many years later. But it was about this woman who went back to Appalachia to be a teacher. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to be a teacher, but I could definitely go back and do medicine. So I had it in my mind once I decided to go to med school that I, I wanted to go back to Southwest Virginia for sure. And then when I was in medical school, it becomes so obvious, the more experience you get doing everything, the better. And I was at MCV and I got so many great experiences, but I knew I'm not a city girl. I definitely like, I got to be out there and take a hike every week. And I need the rural balance to the intensity of practice in medicine and just the way I've always lived my life. So I was also a really good surgeon. And so that was the two things. Do I want to be a surgeon and then I can go practice in a rural area or do I want to be a general practitioner? And um, I had kind of a, a strange experience while I was in medical school that helped me decide just to be a general practitioner. Because as a general practitioner, at least back then, I could do a lot of minor surgery, which I did. You can incorporate whatever you want into a general practice. And so that's what I ended up doing. And she had some unique experiences. Back then, so this is 1980, say 1983, 1980 to 1983 is when I was in my residency. People in rural Botetourt County didn't want to have to go to Roanoke to the doctor. They didn't care if it needed stitching up, you know. They said, well, you just do the best you can. I'll That'll be good enough for me. People didn't want to, if they were having a heart attack, they didn't want to go to Roanoke. They didn't want to go in the hospital. They just wanted some nitroglycerin, and then they wanted to go back to work. She spent time in numerous different positions throughout her career. Working in public health was the next big step, as she took after working as an independent physician for six-plus years. So when I turned 50, I said, okay, I'm making a reading lesson for myself, and I've got to become literate from a literary point of view. And my daughter said, Mom, I think you just need to write. You've got a lot of good stories. You should just write. So I had another buddy who is a very prolific writer. And she said, you know, you write editorials for the newspaper all the time. You are a good writer. 
why don't you come to Nimrod and, you know, see what kind of writing you could do? Because she liked the idea too. And Nimrod is this old, it's a very humble, rustic resort that was has been there since the 1700s in Bath County. And now a family from Richmond owns it. And um, for three or four weeks every summer, it's a fine artist camp where fine artists come and they have a master artist that's teaching and everybody gets to paint or whatever their fine art talent is. And then there's a writer, a couple of weeks where writers get to come. And that's been going on for years and years and years. So I went to Nimrod this one year and I took, I made myself write a a personal essay. I had some professional essays I'd already written and I wrote a poem. And so during the week, you workshop each other's work and you learn and you talk writing the whole time. And at the end of the week, all the participants there said, Molly, you're a poet. So that year they gave me a list of all these poets I should read, you know, and, and just they said, you got to start making yourself write a poem a week and write about what you know. And so that's what really jump started my writing career. And then so that would have been 16 years ago, 19. All right. If this is night, this is 2020 and I, I'm 60. I'm almost 60. So I'm 65. So you can figure out what year that was. So then. My husband took a job in Omaha, Nebraska, and I went, you know, I went with him. And a good friend of mine, my writer friend who had introduced me to Nimrod, said, all right, if you're going to go out there, which I think is a stupid thing for you to do, they've just started this MFA program at the University of Nebraska. So I think you should do it. So I applied for this MFA program at the University of Nebraska, and I was accepted. And it was one of those low residency programs. So what you do is you go for basically 15 days twice a year. And then in between, you have assignments and you're paired up with a mentor to do certain work. That took basically two full years and five residencies. That's what you call them when you get together, you know, with all your, your peer group and your faculty members. And so I ended up with my MFA in 2008. I got my MFA in creative writing. And of course, that really jump-started my body of work that I had. And a lot of things I wrote about when I started writing were my experiences as a physician, because what you do in creative nonfiction or poetry or even fiction is you write about what you know about. <laughs> and that's what was I knew about. So I know a lot about my relationships with my, my patients, and I spend a lot of time in nature, so they're often topics in my writing. No question about it. One of the faculty members said, you know, you need to put together these Buchanan poems somehow, you know, from your practice. You got to put those together. And that's what led to my chapbook off the chart. And that was published in 2015. And that was, that was a great project. That was a really fun project. So, and it's done well. It's sold my Publisher is WordTech, and um, they've been totally satisfied with the sales and the attention given to the book. It's a chapbook, which is a small collection. It's not a full-length collection. Then just this year, I had another book. It's a full-length collection, and it's multi-genre, and it'll be coming out next year in 2021. All right, this is called Upturned on Virginia Route 311. 
I've lost your face among ox-eyed daisies studding hayfields west of Salem and forgotten your name, the one I learned standing in a ditch on the side of the road early one morning headed to clinic in Newcastle during hay season. Just past the new mound system at the Moose Lodge, I slowed for bales in the road, your car upturned, doors smashed up. I instructed your husband to warm you with the sun-bleached towel protecting the back seat upholstery. He crammed behind the wheel downside, you upside slung from your seat belt. His fingers found your radial pulse for me. He counted the beats out loud as I watched the second hand circle my watch, cars whizzing by. Waiting on the jaws of life, I learned your daughter's phone number through stellate windows. You asked me to describe the pieces of glass in your face. We compared the specks to wildflowers in the still-standing hay. I wasn't even thinking about publishing. And one of my mentors said, well, if you don't publish, you're never going to be part of the conversation. So, of course, whenever you get a degree, particularly in creative writing, your alumni and, you know, your, your institution, everybody wants you to publish, you know? (laughs) So I thought, well, we'll just see if it comes naturally. And so when I was at Nimrod and somebody said, you should put these together, I bet there's enough there for a chapbook. And I thought, yes, that's reasonable. Why don't I do this? I'll go through the process and see what it's like. And it was a blast. So in poetry, it's about a, 98% rejection rate to either have a single poem published or a book. And I had been sending individual poems to publications and, you know, I had write many published. So the book was a little bit different. So I just made a list of a hundred places to send it. And every weekend I would send it to five. I just, you know, sent my manuscript because everybody wants it a little bit different. You can't do it the same, you know, for everybody. So About the ninth person I sent it to picked it up and said, we want to publish it. So then it was, and that was Word Tech Communications out of Cincinnati. And they were great to work with. I got to design my own cover. You know, they gave me very specific deadlines for everything. So it was very clear. You know, it was easy for me because I'm used to, you know, following the rules and all that kind of stuff. I I went to Longwood. I'm organized, you know. So it was a great process. And then when I knew it was going to come out, I knew my job then to do for the publisher was to sell books. So all the proceeds of my first book went to the town of Buchanan. There's a um, special events committee that raises money to do things for the town, or actually it's called the town improvement. So they had a book launch for me. And it was so much fun because what people wanted to talk about is either similar experiences they had or tell me about that patient or, you know, it just brings up conversation. So these readings turned out to be so much fun because of what other people brought to the table. After I read, you know, a few poems, the conversation becomes very rich and meaningful. So I really liked doing the readings as well. Dr. Molly O'Dell and producer Megan Wilson for this story. That wraps up this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed through Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks for listening to the Day After Graduation podcast. Whether you're part of the Longwood community or you're listening from some faraway place, we appreciate you. Our podcast is produced by Cordy Walker, Ryan Catherwood, me, Paige Rollins, Megan Wilson, and the Office of Alumni and Career Services at Longwood University. If you have a story you think would be great for the podcast, please let us know about it. Email career at longwood.edu. See you next time for another edition of the Day After Graduation podcast.